Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Oh, if you can open your Bibles in First Peter, and we will be reading from First uh, Peter chapter 2, from verse 18 to 25. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He, com- he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are straying like sheep. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Lord, would you please open our hearts to hear your word. Help us to focus on you right now, Lord. It's so easy to be distracted. So, would you please speak to us. Please use me. I really need you, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, Amen. So, how does an event of one person affect other people? Now, you have a, a Brazilian pastor, so from time to time you'll hear about Brazilian things. I'm sorry, um, uh, but last year in December, uh, Pele died, um, and. Um, this guy is the reason Brazil has more World Cups than any other country. <laughs> he won three World Cups, and I don't think that record will ever be beaten again. Um, and I would argue that he set the standard of by which Brazilians to this day are evaluated in how they play in soccer. In other words, when you see a Brazilian getting the ball, 
what you expect is dribbling. Well, that came from Pele. And to this day, when, when Brazil is like passing too much, it's like, no, that, that looks too European football. Where is the Joga Bonito? Where is the <laughs> skill? And this, um, uh, this one person has in, influenced not just Brazilian soccer, but even Brazilian culture, if I can put it that way. Now, I'm using a silly example, and I could have used other ones, but the point is that there is a way in which one act, one person can affect a multitude of people. Now, going to our context here in First Peter... First Peter is written in a context where the church is suffering. They are under Nero, who is quite crazy. He uh, uh, later on will will set up a fire on on one of his uh, places and will blame the Christians. He would stuck Christians as lights in the streets. Um, there was a lot of persecution. It was not uh, empire-wide just yet, but there were bursts of persecutions throughout this. And um, it is in this context of Christians suffering persecution that Peter writes this letter. And now you may think, well, Isaac, we're not being persecuted here. Um, and... Yes, we, we are not. But this may happen one day. I, I saw the, the, uh, a video in the UK of a woman being arrested for, for silently praying in front of an abortion clinic. She wasn't even speaking. She was praying in her mind and, and they arrested her for that. So it might be coming. But not only that. The reason why I chose this text is to for you to see how the sufferings of Jesus Christ are essential for me and you in order to live all of our lives and to endure when we do suffer unjustly. There, any, any one of us would agree that there are things that happen in this world and in this society and in this country that it's unjust. That is not right. Um, and if you deal with home affairs, you might find that sometimes. But how does an event of one person thousands of years ago affect my living today? So Peter starts to tell these um, different churches about that are suffering to endure unjust suffering. Look at verse 13, just slightly a few verses earlier than what we started. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Stop right there. 
Can you imagine, so believers, in, in, in chapter 1 we see that Peter is addressing churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And there are these pockets of persecution happening all over. Who is the culprit? The emperor. The emperor is ordering these things. And then... Imagine sitting at a congregation, you've been, you've been facing persecution because the emperors and the governors have been after you, and you hear it from the front being read, said, submit to your emperor. Can you imagine that? It's like, maybe your uncle or your aunt or one of, a, a close friend from the church was just put to death by the emperor, and you hear, submit to the emperor. Not just to the emperor, but to every human institution, including the governors. Now, a lot of those believers that would have been there at that time um, would, would have experienced some close persecution. And now... Peter is saying, for me to submit? Ah, Peter, you don't know what's going on here. (laughs) You may be thinking, Peter doesn't understand. Peter doesn't have a clue of what's happening to us. Not only must they submit, but look in verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Not just submit, honor. Peter, what's going on? You, are you understanding of how much you have suffered? This person has, has sent people to kill my aunt or my uncle or my neighbor. We have to be hiding, we have to run away. Charges, unjust chargings are being made to Christians, blaming them for things that, that they're not guilty of. And now you're telling us to submit to him and to honor him? And Peter goes on to say, verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is the will of God for you to submit and to honor. And I don't know about you, but if we realistically think about it, you probably would be frustrated. Think like, Peter, what, what's going on? And then he moves on to servants be subject to your masters. Now, a lot of those believers would have been, uh, and, and servants here, let me not sugarcoat it, were slaves who belonged to, to uh, masters. And in the Roman Empire, uh, slavery was not less like just a low life. There were all kinds of uh, doctors and all kinds of different professions that uh, Roman citizens just got them to do whatever they didn't want to do. And now Peter goes and says, well, servants be subject to your masters with all respect. Now if you're, if you're a servant there, 
and your master beats you week in and with and week out, and you're sitting there hearing, be respectful and submit to your master. <laughs> no, let let us just be honest. How how would you how would you feel about that? They were often mistreated. But Peter goes on to say, okay, how, how would anyone in those circumstances listening to, to those words, what could possibly motivate them to submit, to honor their masters, to honor the emperor, to submit to the emperor? Well, Peter goes on in, in verse 19. For this is a gracious, great, gracious thing. When, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So, it's a gracious thing. What, what does this mean? The Greek word uh, comes from charis. And in, in this context, it uh, seems to be synonymous with credit. Both words indicated that God's people will receive a reward from Him if they endure suffering righteously. In other words, Peter says, if you do endure, if you do submit, if you endure this suffering that you're facing, this suffering that is unjust to you, if you do endure, it is a gracious thing. You get credit for it and then he goes he goes on to say but because if you are suffering for your own sins what credit is that for you many may have felt like if only peter knew what i had to put up with many would have thought but Peter doesn't understand. And, and let, let's just pause for a second. Isn't that how we sometimes deal with scriptures? When we are told to, to proclaim the gospel everywhere or to, or, or to give or to confess our sins to one another and all other things that you may come up with, but, but you don't know my circumstances. I, I, can, I can't give right now. I, I I can't confess my sins to those those people. I I can't I can't preach the gospel. You know I, I'm shy. How how often do we may think like, well, if they only knew my circumstances, they wouldn't ask me to do this. <laughs> but the biggest reason Peter asks and gives the motivation for the people to endure suffering unjustly he goes for the jugular he points to Christ so let's look at that for a second look at the suffering of Jesus look at how he starts verse 21 for this you have been called What is this? For suffering. For this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. Wait. 
For this, I've been called to suffer. I thought I, I was called to be happy. Isn't that what we hear all uh, about today? As long as you're happy. I was asking Melissa, what title should I give this sermon? And at one point we were brainstorming and she said, Christ suffer for you to suffer. <laughs> and we thought maybe it was a bit controversial. But this is the point. Christ suffered so that you are able to endure suffering. Now Peter says, Christ also suffered for you. Christ suffered for you. And I want to pause in this statement because this is a profound statement that though you hear it all the time, you may not be realizing how amazing this statement is. Christ, who is Christ? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus created the universe. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Look at how Jesus is described in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is Jesus. This is our great God and our Savior. Jesus, truly God and truly man. The one who, who endured for our sake, Jesus Christ, the magnificent, the all-powerful, the, the gentle and lowly, Jesus. This is who we are talking about. It's not any, any person there. This is God incarnate. This is not talking just about a, a hero or just someone to admire. This is, this is someone to be worshipped. So Christ, Jesus, great God, He suffered. Now, how, how did He suffer? Well, we know that He suffered immense physical pain. And and I'm going to read and it's slightly long but but I really want you to to picture this. Before being crucified, he received a scourging from the Romans. He was stripped and tied to a post. A crown of large thorns was pressed into his skull. He was struck with a rod in his face. He was also struck again and again by the soldiers. They used a whip with multiple leather thongs, jack bones, and lead beads designed to penetrate the skin and muscle, causing deep contusions and bruising. Traditionally, they were 
39 lashes. His back became a massive bruise with much loss of blood. Often such a scorching resulted in death. Then he was required to carry his cross, which weighed 100 pounds through Jerusalem. Then his hands were nailed to the cross piece with him lying on the ground. Large six-inch doll nails would be driven into his wrists. The nail would go through a nerve and tendons causing excruciating pain. He would then be lifted up by ropes onto the vertical post standing in the ground. He was placed in a half-knee bent position so that the feet could be nailed flat against the cross. Crucifixion often meant death by suffocation. Hanging with the arms outstretched, put the chest in a permanent inhale position. And to catch a breath, he must push up on his feet, causing an excruciating, knowing pain on his feet as the nail tears the flesh and locks up against the bones in the foot. And I could carry on with, with way more details, but can you imagine experiencing this kind of suffering? By the very hands of people that Jesus Christ himself created. But as bad as physical pain was, this was not the great reason of suffering. There was a worse suffering. The stuff has been going through a book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, and... In one of the chapters, it speaks about the agony that Jesus suffered. Not the, the physical one, but listen to this. Cannot believe it was physical extremity that killed Christ. What is physical torture compared to the full weight of centuries of humility, wrath, absorption? The, that mountain of piled up horrors. How did Jesus even retain sanity psychologically in absorbing the sum total penalty of every last forethought and deed coming from the hearts of God's people? And that is one sin among many. Perhaps it was sheer despair that broke him down into death. If, if you think about Luke 22, when he was sweating blood, if he was sweating blood at the thought of God's abandonment, what was it like to go through with it? Would it not have been the withdrawal of God's love from his heart, not the withdrawal of oxygen from his lungs that killed him? Who could hold up mental stability when drinking down what God's people deserved? In the presence of this mental anguish, B.B. Warfield, it says this, The physical tortures of the crucifixion retire into the background, and we may well believe that our Lord, though He died on the cross, yet died not of the cross, but as we commonly say, of a broken heart, 
It was the suffering of Christ's heart that overwhelmed what his physical frame could handle. Christ at the cross crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What would have that been like? Christ experiencing the full wrath of God, paying the the sins of his people throughout centuries. Can you imagine what he went through? Christ suffered physically, emotionally. But who did he suffer for? Why did Christ go through all of this? Who did Christ endure all of this for? Oh, in the next chapter, in verse 18, chapter 3, verse 18, is a bit Peter is a bit more specific. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous for the unrighteous. Christ, the righteous one, died for unrighteous people like you and me. For undeserving people, for sinners, for the disgusting human beings full of lustful thoughts and lies and corruption and deceit. He suffered all of that for unrighteous people. Romans 5, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for people that despise him. For people that love the darkness because their deeds were evil. You are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of, of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is the people who Christ died for. And the problem is, as R.C. Pro puts it, we don't understand who God is and how holy and how amazing God is. And we don't understand how bad and how sinful we are. How depraved we are. Because otherwise, the cross is so magnificent and amazing once you grasp that. That the holy God died for wretched sinners. Wretched sinners. Can you grasp the amazingness of the cross? Jesus, the creator, God of the universe, the all-powerful, the amazing, the blameless one, the beautiful one, suffered for sinners like you and me. We read it earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes may not perish but have everlasting life. God would love me. 
we, we give ourselves way too much credit. We evaluate ourselves in light of other people instead of in the light of the holiness of a great God. And when you understand that, can you see how amazing His love for you is? That He sent Christ to die, to suffer all of that, to receive the full wrath of God for you, for me. That is the great gospel. The righteous died for their unrighteousness. That because of our sins, there is a debt. There is a debt that has to be paid. That's why we use the term penal substitution or attainment. Because there is a there is a debt that needs to be paid. There's consequences for our sins. And Jesus Christ paid that debt. That's the penal part. And the substitution means that he died in our place instead of us. Peter goes and says, Why should you endure all of the sufferings? Well, look to the sufferings of Christ. Now, he goes on to explain how did Christ endure all of this suffering? What was his posture like? How did he handle all of this suffering? So verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He was blameless and without deceit. He, he didn't try to fool people. And if Christ had sinned, he would have remained dead. Because of his own sin. For the wages of sin is, is death. But, but Christ endured this without deceit. Verse 23, he did not threaten. When he was reviled, he did not revile and return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. As a silent lamb of God, he did not retaliate. He did not threaten. He, he could have. But he didn't. He had the power to do it, but he didn't. And I believe we, as, as followers of Jesus, we need more of this meekness. I think that during COVID-19, there was a lot of retaliation <laughs> seen all around. He endured beating and mocking and spitting and all of that without even threatening. No, he he he's he's powerful. He's God, and like Hebrews speaks that Jesus was tempted in every way, and you know. I wonder sometimes, maybe he was tempted at, at that time when the guy smacked him on the face. It was like, ah, you, you don't know what you're doing. You, I'm going to send you to hell. <laughs> <laughs> he did not threaten. He received all the, the suffering and spanking without even like, I'm warning you, touch me again. 
Enough is enough, right? He did not. As a silent lamb, he endured all the suffering. Last part of verse 23. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself and those who mistreated him entirely to God. Like, God, I trust you. This is part of your plan. He entrusted all that was happening to God. And so when we go through, through suffering, are you trusting God? Are you trusting that actually the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, Romans 12. Verse 9. That person that really mistreated you unjustly. (laughs) I'm going to trust this person to God. I'm going to trust myself and my situation and my circumstances to God. Who is God truly is the righteous judge. See, we we sometimes think we, we, we are the righteous judge. Oh, if I were to do it, I would do it like this. But Jesus entrusted himself to the righteous charge. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. There is an emphasis there, Peter is speaking. He himself, he wasn't composed or pushed or... This comes as a saying, Christ offered his life. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree. So that we might die to sin. Brothers, if we find the cross precious, and we want to honor our Savior, we cannot take sin lightly. All that Christ suffered for us, you cannot, you cannot deal with sin lightly. He suffered so that we might die to sin. You and I need to put to death our fleshly nature every day. Die to sin looking to Christ. That we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, this is not talking about physical healing, but forgiveness of sins. And I think sometimes we don't fully grasp forgiveness. Have you ever had to forgive someone who truly hurt you? When you, when you suffered a, a, a something really, really bad and and really hurt your heart or made you really angry. If you've ever had to forgive someone, you will understand that forgiveness is no small thing. C.S. Lewis says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a great idea until they have to do it. So don't don't overlook forgiveness. 
I remember in the beginning of my ministry, someone started to to badmouth me, and um, and this person was close to me, and I felt so betrayed. I felt like a knife in my back, and and it took me months, to be completely honest, to to forgive until I asked him for breakfast so that he could move on and say it's. New page, and I, I want to, to forgive. But Christ forgave our sins. By his wounds we have been healed. And could you ever express how, how big a debt that is? Like if we were to just count our sins from January 1st this year. Can you can you see how great that forgiveness is? And how does Peter end this section? Look to your shepherd. He reminds them that they were like sheep astray, but not anymore. They have returned to the shepherd and overseers of their souls. He, the great shepherd, cares for you even in the suffering. So Coming back to the beginning. So how do persecuted believers, slaves who have been mistreated by the emperor, for their, by their masters, how do they endure the suffering? They look to the sufferings of Christ, who was silent, who did not revile or threaten, but instead entrusted himself to the righteous judge. That's how they do it. It is the only way that they can endure, by looking to Jesus. And let me tell you, this is the only way that you and I can go through life and endure any suffering. Remembering that Christ suffered for you. And if you are here and you are not a believer, I want to urge you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You... You can't live life. You, you won't endure without Him. With Christ, there will still be suffering, but you endure suffering differently. One of the greatest testimonies of how people came to know the Lord in the first century was seeing how believers faced death. How they were martyred, and while they are being killed, they had smiling on their faces because they were about to meet their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and, and people, pagans, will look at that and say, what is, how, what makes them face suffering and death like that? It's because they were entrusting themselves to the righteous judge. And if you're a believer... Remember how Christ suffered for you. Remember that He bore your sins for you to die to sin. Look to Christ. Look to the shepherd of your soul. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we... 
are so grateful and thankful that you, the great almighty God, suffered in our place for our sins, for sinners like us. That we may die to sin, that we may honor you, that we may glorify you, Lord. So we thank you for Christ's suffering on the cross. We thank you for he drinking the cup up until the last drop. Fully drink it for our sins. So Lord, even as we remember how amazing the cross is today and this weekend, Lord, would you help us daily to remember what you went through for our sake. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.